0: So John is writing to these people in the church. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now the confusing part. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Key words, hate and love. As Marsha and I talked about this, uh, we decided hate is a very bad word. Most of us as parents tell your kids not to hate something, unless it's broccoli. So we, at least I automatically kind of put my hackles up when I say somebody says they hate somebody. But much has been said about hate crimes and hate speech in our society over the last couple of years, right? if you listen to any kind of news at all. Hate crimes have been directed at ethnic or racial individuals and religious communities. Because COVID started in China, there were hate crimes against Asian Americans. That's a stretch. Here's some examples of hate crimes that are reported on the Department of Justice hate uh, website. A Michigan man was indicted for hate crimes after attacking African-American teens. Another one, a California woman pleaded guilty to a hate crime for threatening to bomb a Catholic prep school. Third one, a federal jury convicted an Illinois man for bombing the Dal al farouk Islamic Center. And fourth, a Missouri man was indicted for hate crimes and arson, a religious motivation in that case. There's a whole list, I mean, I think it was over a page of hate crimes listed on their site. And as a result of legislators seeing that there are hate crimes, they've enacted laws in several attempts to discourage hate. In 1968, which is a date I remember with fond memories, that was a year after I graduated from high school, an act that made it a crime to use or threaten to use force to interfere with housing rights because of the victim's race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. So this was at least called the Equal Housing Opportunity Act. So that's in 1968, for some of us, it's a fond memory of days long past. For others of you, you don't have a clue, 1968. 1996, Congress passed the Church Arson Prevention Act. So, that was, what, nearly 30 years after that? In 2009, Congress passed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. This law removed then existing jurisdictional obstacles to prosecutions of certain race and religion motivated violence and added a new federal protection against crimes based on gender, disability, gender identity, or sexual orientation new laws constantly being generated as a result of something that happens. This is the part that maybe will help unravel what John's saying here. I'm not giving you a new commandment. Oh, but I am giving you kind of a new commandment. So we don't need new laws. And what I wanna try to do here is to help you understand what John is saying and use the example of what we are trying to do politically, legislatively, and popularly to try to discourage or eliminate hate. Another way, a a subtle way that hate finds its ways into our lives is through regulations and mandates. Whether it's laws about speeding or wearing these masks or various kinds of things, they will make us feel certain emotions. It may make us angry. We may even say we hate that particular law. The problem comes from when we decide that the hate of that thing becomes personalized, that our emotions allow us to go to the direction that we not ju- don't just hate the law, we hate the guys that developed the law. Okay, so we take offense at a particular political group because they initiated the law. Now, it's not supposed to be a political group. It's supposed to be uniform and all that kind of stuff across all political boundaries. But we have a tendency then to incorporate that hate, dislike, or whatever that we have towards a particular rule into our lives in more general terms and aim it at a person or organization. They may be valid feelings. I don't like wearing these masks. I do now with all this COVID going on, but I don't like it. But I don't take offense at the CDC or Dr. Fauci for telling us we probably ought to. Well, it's not my purpose today to talk about legal stuff or political stuff or any of that. My purpose is to try to help you understand what John's saying here that relates to what we do in our lives today. So let's talk about the book of John. John wrote this letter that we call the book of John, late in his life because there were people in his church that were being influenced by someone outside, or perhaps someone inside. It's not identified who they are. It's not even identified what they did or said. I'm going to give you some inferences a little later on what I think they were doing, and maybe a hint at who was doing it, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Suffice it to say, what they were doing was saying something and teaching something that was contrary to the gospel message that they had been given, okay? So, back to verse 7, behold, I am writing to you, okay? oh, does this mean John wasn't there and he's writing to someone elsewhere or just writing so that they could have that to read? This is not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Now, if we look at the beginning, we have a couple of choices. One is the beginning meaning the Old Testament. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think he's talking about what they have been told since the beginning of their salvation experience, that being some apostle or some disciple or perhaps even some old folks that were in the congregation remember Jesus walking around. They have been told a commandment. So they've heard that from the beginning of their experience. The old commandment that he's referring to is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away. In him is Jesus. So the command that we told you about was realized in the presence of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated this love, this commandment in his life, through his life, by his life. So we have now an illustration of the commandment, and I think that's what John is trying to get at here. This is a demonstrated commandment, and it is true because, where am I at down here, just ahead of verse 9, the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. That true light is Jesus. I think from Pastor Chris's presentation last week, Christ is the light. The light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light, so this is a rhetorical question for the church at that time, those believers he's speaking to, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. That's not just hypocritical. That is just, you don't really believe if you're living in the darkness. Whoever loves his his brother abides in the life, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I've never been blind, thankfully. I feel sorry for those who are, but I'm sure that most blind people figure out ways to live a wholesome life in spite of a physical ailment. But I have experienced darkness in a couple of different ways. One is in a lot of my travels where I travel to a number of other countries where I was unfamiliar with their customs, where I was unfamiliar with how they designed their motel rooms or which way, which Handle was the hot faucet, which was the cold faucet. And then you go to bed at night and there was only one light switch and can I remember where the light switch was? Well, maybe. It's totally dark. I get out of bed and try to find this thing and stumble over the footstool or run into the wall or can't find the doorknob or certainly don't remember where the sink even was. And all I want is a simple drink of water. As in darkness. And that's what John's referring to here, whatever example he might give of people in his day because they didn't have running water or a light switch. But I find it really incredible that we are given light to see where we're going through God's word, through my favorite part of God's word that I use for a guiding light are the parables of Jesus. They are so easy to understand, particularly for an agriculturist, because there's lots of agricultural things in there. But there's also other things like the wedding feast and other things that can give you real meaning in your life situations by following the situations that Jesus reports in the parables stretched throughout the Gospels. They tell us how to live, even though some people say it is not an instruction manual, it isn't a, how to, how to respond to this certain circumstances, but it does give us guidance in broad sense in many ways. So, another verse that you need to look at if you're trying to understand this particular passage of it's not a new commandment, you look back to John chapter 15. Not first not John, but the book of John chapter 15, and it's a verse that you're all very familiar with, I'm sure. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do as I command. So Jesus spoke that directly He doesn't, so John's not necessarily referring back to the Old Testament. He's referring back to what Jesus said or what others presented to them that Jesus had said. Now, if we want to go back to the Old Testament, I think it gives, it does certainly tell us that, that we need to love each other, but it also gives us some implications of what we can do about hate in our lives. You don't have to turn to this, but I'm going to read. To you. you, this is one of those things you might want to put in your note to look at later. Leviticus chapter 19, a fun book to read. It's great to read all the rules and regulations that these people have. Okay, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. I hang on to that thought. I want to know when someone does something to offend you or you see someone do something that offends you, how do you respond? Now, this is not some local yoko out there in the wilderness that you don't know. This is a friend, a family member, someone who you like. What do you do when they offend you? I'm going to give you some examples. I don't want you to raise your hand. You might get me in trouble or somebody else in trouble. You might not talk to them. I don't like what they did. I don't like what they said. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. You might get mad. You might just tell others about it. That's called gossip. Might develop ill feelings towards that individual. Or you may develop hatred towards them. That's the extreme. What do you do when someone offends you? I've been there. I, I know through life experiences that these things happen to me. If anybody here has never had that happen, let me know afterwards. I'll meet you out in the hallway and you can tell me how on earth you did it. But contrary, as we transition from don't hate people, but love people, what would you say if someone offended you, caused you to feel these emotions? Well, I'm just not going to talk to that person again. What would you do to make them think that you love them? Maybe go to them and explain why? I think what you did was wrong or why this made me angry or something that shows that you care enough for them that you're going to put your hurt behind you and you're going to go to them and say, let's reconcile this. Let's reconcile this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, and might. That's a very well-known verse that's quoted in the New Testament also. These words that I command you, from Deuteronomy, these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Now remember, take this back to the vital signs. What is the primary organ that is responsible for your blood pressure, your pulse rate, and your oxygen level? The heart. Okay, so Clear back in Deuteronomy, he was given Pastor Logan's message. A vital sign is something that figuratively is written on our heart. So this is clear back in the Old Testament. This is something that's written on our heart, and it becomes part of our nature. Matthew chapter 22. You shall love the Lord your God, and secondly, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What follows those simple words? All the laws, which are commands and mandates, depend on these two. These two, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Simple laws. Now, what did I just give you at the introduction as a, uh, my wife would call an anticipatory set. For those of you who aren't in education, it just means kind of a story to get you on the right page. Congress has enacted lots of laws against hate. We need more laws. So we add another one. That's not what brings us to a point of true love and not hating. What does is our relationship to God. So we don't need new laws to get rid of, eliminate, or reduce hate. We need Jesus and the love he demonstrated, that new commandment, we need that in order to reduce or eliminate it in my life, in your life. And the rest of the world can see our light shining because of what Jesus has done, and perhaps they will join us. Our growth groups have been studying uh, out of a book called Gentle and Lowly. If any, any of you are in a growth group and are puzzled by what to study, I'm going to recommend the book Gentle and Lowly, and you can get your free copy right in a foyer if you find Pastor Logan. <laughs> He's got 200 of them, minus the ones we took for our growth group. They're free of charge, and it's great material. So, Mark, there's a for your growth group leaders, if they need something, it's a great book. I recommend it. And in chapter 1, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that it always puzzled me how on earth someone that went through what Jesus did, coming down from glory to earth and putting up with all the nonsense that he did and then get hung on a tree with nails in his hands. And he said, this is easy. No, that's not what he means. He asked his father that if it was his will, that the cup would be taken away, that he wouldn't have to go through that. He knew what it was. What he means is that the pathway to salvation through him, repentance, belief in repentance, is easy. If we want to get rid of hate, that's what we need to do. And then in John 13 not 1st John again this is back in the gospel of John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 Christ gives this new commandment to his disciples just as I have loved you. So he has demonstrated his love by all his actions, healing the sick, physical, spiritual healing, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I told people in the first service, I'll tell you, this is my wife's mug, it's a very nice mug. And it doesn't have coffee taste like mine does, but I turn it one direction because yesterday's game was not good at all. Uh, but sorry for the distraction. All men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is that? I'll give you a hint. It fits in with the title of these messages. It's a vital sign. This is vital that we do these things in our lives because it's in our heart and it's a vital sign to the world showing them that we are healthy, healthy believers going down the right path, not in, no longer in darkness. John 2 verses, now we're back to 1 John. Boy, I might get through this. Eh, maybe not. I didn't get through it in the first one. So, John chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he's going because it has blinded his eyes. And then the next set in John chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we have loved our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, but if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does, God love, abide, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So don't be surprised that the world hates you. If you have a different opposing view, they may very well hate you, dislike you, not talk to you, or some of those symptoms that lead down the path to hate. Don't be surprised at that. But we know we have passed from death to life. Now, an example, again, a nice medical example for which some of you may want to clarify my lack of full understanding of medical issues. If you're dead, what are your vital signs like? Flat. I understand from some reading that the body temperature might actually go up for a little bit but then goes down slowly, slowly, slowly. What a morbid thought, okay. No longer a pulse, no longer any blood pressure, and eventually your body temperature drops. Now what if you have this death experience and someone comes in and revives you? What happens to your blood pressure? Goes up. What happens to your heart rate? Slowly returns. Okay. And what happens to your body temperature? Hopefully that goes up. Unless you're laying out in the Arctic somewhere. Okay. So someone comes by and revives you. And that's what Jesus did for us. By dying on the cross. And being resurrected from the dead. He now gives us life. Healthy vital signs right here, right now, if we are following him, if we are abiding in him. Uh, You can say, well, I abide in him most of the time. Well, no, if you believed, truly believed and repented, you are a believer. You may not be the mature believer you want to be. You may still be a child that John refers to here in a little bit when he says, Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed. Or deeds, plural. Let us not just talk about it. You know, the other verse says, be ye not just speakers of the word, but doers. Okay? We are required to demonstrate our love just like Jesus did. He demonstrated his love for us by going to the cross. Now, here's a some of you have been in my classes before. I have deanisms or billisms. But this isn't necessarily totally accurate, so you, you can ask Pastor Logan, because he's heard me say this, but you can ask him if it's really true or not. If I can remember where my train was going before it wrecked. Okay, Bill, we, uh, we'll skip that one for now. Yep. I think it's a past 70 moment. Okay. The world may hate you or what you stand for, but you must not allow them to influence your life. So if you know that the world is hateful, don't let what they say to you Lead you down that pathway. This amazing contrast to what Christ did for us, that He laid down His life for us that we might live a spiritually vital life here and now, and that we might have life after death, we should do the little things, such as feeding or clothing those in need, that demonstrates our true obedience to Christ because he has given us light to see. Now, to remember what I was trying to say, what if God was a God of words and not actions? I think this is the point John's trying to make here, that we need to not just love in word, we need to do in deeds. If God was just a God of words, he might say, I love you. And leave it. But what is John is saying here is God sent his only son to die a vicious death on a cross and raise him from the dead so that we might have life. What if he forgot the second part? Now I really don't want to do that. He's my only son. I'll just tell these people that I love him. No demonstration. What do we have? We don't have salvation. We are back under the rule of the Pharisees and the rabbis. So God is a God of action. He says he loved us. He sent his son to die for us that we might have life here on earth. Spiritual fulfilling life here on earth. I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But he didn't stop there. He gave us an opportunity to show others through our love. Then another section is in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He loved if God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we can have this perfect love by knowing that God gave it to us and that we ought to give it to others. Don't just keep it to yourself. But there's a qualifier By this we know that we abide in Him and and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. We can't do this on our own just writing our to-do list. I like to make lists so I don't forget things like I did just a few minutes ago. But we can't reach spiritual maturity by making a list of 1,700 things to do. We reach spiritual maturity by demonstrating love to a brothers. As he talks here, we read it in the second chapter. It's also repeated here in this fourth chapter. The first word in verse 7 is beloved. That word that's used there is a form of the word agape. And you've all been told probably umpteen times what agape means. Agape is a kind of love that is undeserved, unmerited. It's a merciful love, unconditional. So he's saying, I love you people so much, and you ought to love others as well. So when we have come to know and believe the love of God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him, because we have the Holy Spirit. When we believe we get the Holy Spirit in us, that directs us, reminds us, tells us the direction we should go in our lives? Not the, I heard a voice from God necessarily kind of thing. But if we are studying his word, we understand God. He will direct our paths. And by this is love perfected with us so that, okay, I want anybody that's nodding off, I want you to, this is the part that I think the reason John wrote this letter. He wants them to love each other. But he says, we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. We may have confidence. We may have assurance. Now this brings me back to what I told you at the beginning that There is a reason that John wrote this letter. Somebody was telling them things that were dividing the church, causing hatred, or at least those things that lead to hatred. And what he says here, you may have confidence in the day of judgment. What's going to happen on the day of judgment? Everybody that's done good is going to go to heaven, and those that have done bad are going to go to hell. No, all you who have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Lord of your life will go to heaven. On that day of judgment, there may have been some people, this is another Billism or Deanism, I believe that what he's saying here is referencing back to the fact that these teachers were saying you can't have that confidence. There is no assurance outside of following all the Levitical laws, the rabbinical laws, and whatever else man put on these people as a burden. That's why I think he wrote this letter. I think that some Judaizers, people who were professing to be Christians, were leading these people back to the old ways, and it was causing dissension, division, even dislike or hatred. So I think that's what John is getting at here. And that is what we need to avoid right here in old Walla Walla is not letting discrepancies in Scripture presented to us. If you don't believe what I'm saying today, I'd be glad to discuss it with you. I hope that everything that I have said today is true based on His Word. But there are people out there that don't really believe all that. And they lead people astray. They don't believe the gospel is that simple. It cannot be that simple. And those are the exact words that I said in my freshman year of college when I asked someone, What is it like to be a Christian? What does it take? Believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. Okay, then what? No, no, then what? No, and what? No, but. It's that simple. Jesus came and died for us out of love because of what God has done. And he says here in verse 18, there's no fear in love. There's no fear of being judged at the day of judgment if you believe the simple message that Jesus Christ came in the way that he did. Perfect love casts out fear. So, you are loving in your heart. You do good for other believers. You demonstrate it in your life, and you have no fear of that judgment. We love because he first loved us. In verse 20 of chapter 4, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For that's strong too. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Simple. God has given us a simple way to have fellowship with him, to restore our relationship to him. Now I want to give you a practical lesson, homework assignment. Now, the other side of the blank piece of paper has some words on it. And what I'd like you to do is use this as a homework assignment. I've got a couple of corrections on here. I did this in a hurry and sent it off, and it didn't come out the way it was supposed to. But let's just read these. Who or what influences you towards hate? Not necessarily to hate, but towards hate. What kinds of things that come into your life cause you to begin feeling that way? And given it, then the second one, give examples of that. Next one, who or what influences you towards love? Okay, so these are the two that John is, is telling us about, hate and love. Hate versus love. Now the next, next one is supposed to say examples of love. So double cross out, make an X, whatever, cross out hate, and put love there. If you have examples of hate in your life, what will you do about it? Or if you have examples in your life of what's leading you towards hate, what will you do about it? What can you do about it? God's Word is full of examples. And lastly, that I omitted, you can just say if you have examples of love in your life, what can you do to enhance that? If you're doing acts of love, you don't have time to hate things. So the point of this homework assignment is, concentrate, focus on love. Look at those things that are causing you to hate or heading in that direction, but then turn around and go the other way. That's what repentance is saying, this is wrong, I'm going that way. And use that as a guide in your life. Thank you for your attention. I hope that there's something meaningful that you can take from that lesson. And uh, Paul has a song for us.
1: John 3 we read just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life for this is the way God loved the world he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life this morning as we sing uh, let's think about those things Uh, think about lifting our eyes turning our eyes upon Jesus this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the same.